Well, as I said at the beginning of the service, we've reached the final Sunday of Epiphany, the season where we make Christ known, we focus on how Christ has been revealed to the nations, to, to ourselves, and our relationships. If you didn't get to hear Father James' sermon last week on marriage and divorce, I strongly commend it to you. There are all these different ways that we've been discussing in the season of Epiphany of how we make Christ known. And uh, today we finish up with this amazing uh, story in the scriptures of the Epiphany uh, of Jesus that is, we call it the, transform- the transfiguration account. The toughest part about this account is how do we make it practical in our own lives? How do we translate uh, from this, uh, this amazing event to, to making Christ, making it applicable in our own lives? And so I want to attempt to do that with you this morning as we, as we finish the season of Epiphany. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I love Epiphany. I, I love making Christ known. And, and uh, I'll just be honest, Lent is not my easiest season, and so I, it is, uh, it's so much more quieter and more somber and, and reflective, and, and per- probably that says a lot about me, but, um, but all things are important for us, and all the seasons work together for the good of our lives, and so I think, I think the Lord for it, but I, I do want to focus on this, this Transfiguration Sunday this week, so... It's interesting when you, when you begin to talk about what's going on on top of this mountain, there are so many parallels to the Old Testament. For instance, the passage we read this morning, it's, it's, it's like the Lord, is, the Lord God is just saying, putting an exclamation point on the life of Jesus and saying, if there was ever any doubt in your mind exactly who, who Jesus is, let me emphatically make it clear with an exclamation point, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The parallels are huge. You've got the glory of God on the mountain in Exodus 24. You have the glory of Jesus on, on the Mount of Transfiguration, whichever mountain it was. You've also got Moses and Elijah accompanying Jesus. Moses representing the law. Elijah representing the prophets. And, and again, it's just so blatant. It's like, all the fulfillment of all the law of the Old Testament, all the fulfillment of all the prophetic words of the Old Testament, all come together on this one Jesus Christ. Moses and Elijah both have mysterious deaths. Elijah's taken up in the whirlwind. Uh, Moses, they, we, we, read, we read in Deuteronomy, was buried, but nobody knows where his grave is, which led a lot of extra biblical uh, writers to, to, to understand that somehow God took Moses and um, I quizzed Leslie Goble, where is she? I quizzed Leslie Goble a couple of weeks ago, and I said, when did Moses get to go into the promised land? And being a good Bible scholar, she said, he didn't. He died outside the promised land, but, but he actually gets in today, in our lesson today. He, he's there on the Mount of Transfiguration in the promised land along with Jesus. He is, he is brought into that. And so you've got all these things, all these things that are going on. Both Moses and, and Elijah are, are related to the to the prophecies about the end time. Moses says in his life that, that there will come another prophet like me. Listen to him. What is it God the Father says? Listen to him. It's, I mean, it's like it can't be any clearer. Elijah, we're told, and, and Malachi, will, there will be one like Elijah that will come at the end of the days before the Messiah comes. And so all this is, is just drawing together this amazing event that, that Jesus is glorified in the sense that he is revealed for who he is. 
the weight. You think of glory, think of the word weight or weightiness. That's why C.S. Lewis writes a book called The Weight of Glory. And he, and he says, for Jesus is revealed in this, in this Mount Transfiguration for all he is. And before that, they, they, were, they probably were, we were hoping, they were, they were anticipating, maybe this is the one, maybe this is the Messiah. But, but in that moment on the mountain, there is no doubt. His clothes are transformed. There's a brightness about him. And transfiguration is just a fancy way of saying he's transformed. They, they see him for who he truly is. I'll never forget the first time I preached, um, not the, probably the first sermon, but one of the first sermons I preached when I was an assistant at All Souls. Don't think I was even ordained to the, to the priesthood. I was still a deacon, and I was preaching, and I had a police officer come up to me afterwards and chastised me to no end, as only a police officer can do. And he told me, brother, I know who Jesus is. I don't have to wait for him to be glorified to see him. I know he is. He totally missed my point in the sermon. So please don't miss my point because I don't want get, to get yelled at like that again. We, we have seen Jesus for who he truly is. But up until that time, the, the disciples hadn't. And, and so Christ is glorified. The weight of who he is is revealed to them in a way that, that is unmistakable, the way that will last with Peter till the end of his life. As a matter of fact, in 1 Peter, Peter's letter that he writes, he will talk about this event where he sees Jesus transformed on the mountain. He even, even says that and, and what an impact it made and how that is what we share. It is this glorified Jesus that's been revealed. For any of us who know Christ as Lord and Savior, he's been revealed to us in a supernatural way. Not on a mountain, not necessarily with bright light and colored, changed color of, of robes and, and, and all that, but, but we've seen the glory of Christ. We, we know who he is. And we're called to make him known, to reveal that to, to other people. How do we do that? How do we, how do, because we can't take people to a mountaintop. First of all, we live in Florida. There are no mountains. And by the way, Mount Dora, I've been through there, not a mountain at all. I mean, it's like, really, Mount Dora? Only in Florida would you have, you know, like a mountain that's like 125 feet above sea level. How do we, how do we make Christ now? How do we, how do we take this forward and, and reveal here? Well, I think the, the, one of the, the problems, one of the things that holds us back for sharing Christ and glorifying him is that we're afraid of, of saying something or doing something wrong, right? Making a mistake. Isn't that really the part of the problem? Doesn't that hold you back sometimes for letting people know that you're a follower of Jesus and telling them that you've seen Jesus, who Jesus really is? You've seen him, in a sense, glorified and you want to make him known? It's afraid you're, you're afraid that you'll be just like Peter in this account. I know I am. Peter opens his mouth and begins to say, Lord, this is amazing. Here's Elijah, and here's Moses, and here's you. So let's, let's build tabernacles. Let's, let's memorialize this holy moment. Now, how did they know, how did he know it was Moses and Elijah? I do not know. Maybe Moses was carrying the commandments still, and Maybe Elijah was eating like, you know, locusts and honey or, you know, I don't, I don't know what it was. They probably were not wearing name tags, but somehow Peter knew who he was in the presence of 
And, and he wanted to memorialize the moment. He, he did something very, he opened his mouth, but he said the wrong thing. And God speaks this word powerfully from heaven. Behold, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. It's like it, it all points to Jesus. Somebody asked, somebody new to Anglicanism asked, why do they take the, the gospel book and, and, and walk down into the congregation? It's because, because all the fulfillment, all the scriptures are, are inspired and, 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 and all, all are important, but, but everything points to Jesus, and w- which is why we, we bring the gospel out into the congregation and we proclaim the gospel, the, the accounts of Jesus' life in the congregation because we're, we're, we're focusing on the fact that, it's, that it, all gets, it all coalesces in Jesus. He is the center of all things. God the Father says, don't make a mistake. Don't, don't, don't think this is just a holy moment. This is the holy moment. This is the moment that you recognize who Jesus is, the fulfillment of all things, as Paul says. In him do all things coalesce, all things come together. Christ, the Son of God, behold my Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. It's one of the few moments in the New Testament where we hear God's voice recorded. At Jesus' baptism, we hear it where he says a very similar thing. Behold my son, whom I'm well pleased. And now here at his transfiguration, it's like bookends in the life of Jesus. God the Father actually speaking in a way that can be heard so that the, those who are to be, those who are to be witnesses to the event know emphatically this is what's going on. And we are, we are told in the, in the gospel that they are terrified and they fall down. And they're trembling and they're, they're burying their heads in the sand, afraid to look up because they have heard the voice of God. Our greatest fear is that we will say something wrong, that we'll be like Peter. But isn't it touching? And it even caught me emotionally as I read it this morning from, from down there when I recognized that, that in the midst of that, the, all this, this sort of terror of the voice of God and, oh my gosh, I've gotten it wrong and, and you're silenced. And then what happens? Jesus comes and he touches them. He touches them and he comforts them. And Christ, who is the, the fulfillment of all things in history, that all history hinges on the person of Christ, God the Son, coming into our world. And, and yet, in the moment of need, he comforts his disciples by simply touching them. And so he wants to, you to know this morning that he also wants to come and comfort you. And wherever you are, in whatever circumstance you walk through this door this morning, don't be afraid of what lies for you or what is ahead. For Jesus comes to touch you and to comfort you. To comfort you in the very presence of this moment. You know why I serve the Lord Jesus? Because he's 
revealed himself to me and he's touched me over and over again and says, be not afraid. Rise up. Be not afraid. We're going to do this together. From the, the majesty of the transfiguration to that quiet touch. And it says that when the disciples looked up, they saw that there was no one there but Jesus. But let me tell you guys, when it's just you and Jesus, that's enough. And it's comforting in a way nothing else can. In a sense, this is, this is the, very, uh, the very focus of what we try to do here at Servants of Christ. We, we want to make disciples learning to do all that Jesus said. What is it that the Father says? He says, this is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. We want to make, you can't make disciples unless a person first sees Jesus revealed in their lives. They see the glory of who Jesus is and they fall down and worship Him as Lord Savior and Lord. You make a disciple by, by first making someone who, who becomes a follower of Christ, who, who is, a, is a follower of the one who is his Savior and Lord or her Savior and Lord. And then we teach them to listen to Jesus and follow where he calls them. That's the work. Now, sometimes it's hard because there's different voices. I was with someone last night, and we were talking and trying to discern people who say, this is what God's will is for your life, and trying to discern, is this my own flesh, or is this, you know, is this the enemy trying to deceive me? And learning to listen to Jesus in the midst of that is work, but that's the work we've been called to, to make disciples and learn to do all that Jesus said, to follow him, just as the Father tells James, Peter, and John on the mount. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Well, our work is to find ways to bring God's glory, to glorify Jesus in our own lives. We, as I said, we can't take people up onto the mountain. We can't we don't get to say, and now Jesus, and then he, you know, comes out in all the glory. We, we have to do it through letting his glory be reflected in us. Sounds kind of anticlimactic, doesn't it? <laughs> From the transfiguration to me or you reflecting Jesus' glory. But yet, that's the way the Lord has chosen to reveal himself. Yes, through his witnesses, and that's what Peter says in 1 Peter 3. We have had this divine revelation given to us. We were with him on the mountain. We tell of what God did in Jesus on that day to make sure we understood that he, in fact, was the Messiah, the Lord of heaven and earth. But we don't get to see the firsthand account. We get to tell what they witnessed, which is why Scripture becomes so important to us as the authoritative revelation of who God is. Beyond that, we, we glorify Jesus through what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. What does Paul say? I, I've, all the things that I count as gain, I now count as loss, that I might know the glory of Christ. And, and Paul goes on to say that 
that he is willing to suffer the loss of all things for the knowledge of Christ, that he could bring glory to Christ. We glorify Christ, we make him known through our suffering, through how we walk through the difficulties of life, for the things we're willing to give up for the glory of Christ in our lives. People are watching how we live, and they're inspired by how we suffer. I was so overwhelmed by a story that Jody related to me about the coronavirus right now going on in China, as you guys know. It's all over the news. And what she was telling me is a story that she read, I think through Barnabas, the Barnabas website, about Christians that are that are going around and ministering to people that have been exposed to the coronavirus. Walking in to harm's way to reveal Jesus to people. Powerful. How we suffer, Paul says, brings glory to Christ. Another place in Scripture, in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians actually, chapter 4, Paul goes on to say that we also bring glory to Christ as we, as we learn to serve in his name. Which is why we call ourselves servants of Christ. I'll never forget my son Jake being told that, you know, at, I don't know how old he was, he was not very old. Um, that we were going to be servants of Christ. He's like, oh, Dad, that's a terrible name for a church. Nobody's going to want to go to that church. Who wants to be a servant? I said, well, here's the bad news, son. Scripture commands that we serve in his name because he himself served us. Jesus served us. And so as we, as we learn to serve, we also bring glory to him. We reveal him. It's not the transfiguration brightness, but it is reflecting who Christ is. It's touching people as he touched the disciples. It's willingly going into suffering just as he entered into his suffering. This is the call on our lives to take the glory of the transfiguration as Jesus has revealed himself to us and to make him known by faithfully sharing the witness of Scripture by how we suffer and by learning to be a servant as he is. As we do these things, as hard as it is to believe, we make the glory of Christ known in this sinful and broken and hurting world. It's not glamorous, but it is life-changing. We get to reflect the same glory as the transfiguration. Paul says, we carry the glory of Christ in clay jars. So don't get proud. 
we're, we're fragile and we've, we're cracked. We're cracked pots, basically. That's just what I'm trying to say. It's what Paul's trying to say. But even in these cracked pots, in these jars of clay, we get to show the glory of Christ. Last point. We are so individualistic. We think so Western. We think so individualism. It's not that you have to do it alone. It's not that you have to reflect the glory of Christ alone or that that we get to reflect the glory. It's that together we reflect the glory of Christ. When I was trying to get Jody to fall in love with me, I said, well, I'm, I'm okay, but you got to meet my family because they're amazing. And, and, and sort of by, you know, by selling the family, I made myself look better. So it is in the body of Christ. This is an amazing family of God to bring glory to Christ. So even when you feel like you're like Peter, you're afraid you're going to say something wrong or that you're not going to do a good job of reflecting Christ because of the, the things in your life that you still are working through, remember that you're simply inviting him into the glory of the family. And this family does an amazing job together of reflecting Christ's glory. Mm. He touched them. He said, rise up. Don't be afraid. He gave them comfort in the present. And then he gave them hope for the future. He said, now, you're not to tell anybody about this, which you know the rule. If you'd say not to tell, people always tell. But until I rise from the dead, and then you're to tell people. You see, not only did he bring comfort for the moment, He gave hope for the future. And that is the hope that we proclaim as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this incredible witness of who Jesus was. Lord, we we can hardly understand how you would take your glory that you displayed on the Mount of Transfiguration, Lord, and that you would allow it to be reflected in our lives. But we, we thank you for it, Lord. We're humbled by it. We're also encouraged by it, Lord. So continue to allow this congregation to be your witnesses of your glory, that you may be known and glorified, worshipped and adored throughout Gainesville and Alachua County and everywhere you carry members of this body. And we'll be quick to give you all the honor and glory and praise. For it is in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.